This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Connor, and welcome to this week's episode of Intelligence Squared Business. Today, we're joined by Yor Kell, founding director of the United Nations Global Compact and chairman of Arabesque Partners. As someone who was at the forefront of founding the ESG movement in the early 2000s under UN Secretary General Kofi Annan, he has gone on to become a pioneer in the world of artificial intelligence and finance. In this episode, he speaks to Linda Yu about the trends that are coming down the road fast in the world of investing and why they could offer us a solution in solving climate change and creating a more sustainable economy. It's a really thought-provoking conversation and we hope you enjoy it. Now, let's go to the episode. To put it bluntly, I think a lot of financial analysts will have to learn how to work with machines. Are we talking five years, 10 years, 50 years? Much, much faster. I would say at the end of this year, we will already see major AI applications, massive scale. Hello, I'm Linda Yu, an economist and broadcaster. Welcome to the Intelligence Squared Business Podcast. Today, we're discussing artificial intelligence, or AI, and investing. To chew over these issues with me, I'm joined by George Kell, chairman of Arabesque, an Anglo-German ESG quant fund manager that uses self-learning quantitative models and big data to assess the performance and sustainability of major companies. He's the founding director of the United Nations Global Compact, the world's largest voluntary corporate sustainability initiative that aims to get businesses signed up to support the 2030 sustainable development goals. Welcome, George. Before we get into uh, AI and investing, just explain uh, what is a quant fund manager? Basically using big data on a massive, massive scale, making sense out of complexity into simple tools, uh, making them available uh, for the financial industry with the added uh, objective to integrate uh, non-traditional financial information, environmental, social, and governance. So the unique combination in the case of Arabesque is sustainability and technology. Absolutely. Um, The topics we're going to get into, both AI and then sustainability, because there's so much to chew over here. So let's just start with autonomous finance that's using artificial intelligence. What does that mean for investing? It's a major disruption uh, on its way. Basically, you can argue the financial industry 
is only now catching up with major trends in the technology space and in the ESG space. And these two mega trends, uh, sustainability, accounting for issues that traditionally were not measured, integrating them into your strategies and decision-making process requires uh, an enormous amount of computation. It requires an enormous amount of learning. It requires the ability to identify what matters, what is material. And for that, you need a, a massive capacity of computation and smart analytics, which traditionally is not available. In our classic approach, we discounted the future. We used the linear programming. Uh, we didn't deal with complexity uh, of that magnitude. And to get a handle on this complexity, you need smart analytics and increasingly also self-learning. Add to that the fact that the amount of data that is potentially relevant for smart long-term decision-making is increasing enormously thanks to technological progress, sensors, and so forth, and the availability of non-traditional data. You're confronted with a major issue of how do you handle all this data and how do you make sense out of it? And this is where AI comes in. This is where the ability to digest uh, the ever-growing amount of data into simple, applicable rules and tools. So just so I'm understanding it, um, there's a lot of data and the processing could benefit from AI or machine learning because they have this ability to, uh, to very quickly um, assemble data, take out patterns, especially if you're trying to assess complicated things like sustainability. So I guess the question you're probably going to get, and you've probably gotten a lot after this, is um, it's people who write uh, these algorithms right. for AI. <laughs> so just explain that kind of process, because there are some who would say, hmm, algorithms, uh, isn't that just you know, coding in a person's preferences or biases? Yes, there is, uh, of course, the assumptions you're making about your model uh, determine to a large extent what you get out of it. To aspects are of importance here. You can only program financial narrow assumptions as is classically the case. Uh, then you get classic output, but even there you can argue AI has a huge advantage, a cost advantage, because it's so much faster and it's more precise. Secondly, uh, it has the ability to plug in this new data and that gives it an extra edge to the extent that ESG, environmental social governance factors matter. So you have to get a handle on that. And of course, you make assumptions about it. And we can talk about that in detail, what matters. It's a dynamic concept. It's quite on the move, so to speak, because preferences are changing, risk perceptions are changing, and it varies across geographies on top of that. So there's a lot of complexity already just in these simple things. And then thirdly, it's... Uh, there's just more precision uh, because you take out the human bias in, in, in making the final calls. Uh, you have more accurate, you have less biased uh, decision-making capabilities, and the AI machine itself increasingly is also self-learning. And that is a major breakthrough because over time, the corrections are made not only by the assumptions you put into it, but also by the learnings that the machine itself derives from the results. So it has a huge cost advantage to start with, in itself a disruption, no doubt. Secondly, it allows to reduce complexity into simplicity. And thirdly, it has the ability 
to self-improve over time. One of the ways that I've seen AI beginning to figure into investments is it kind of, there's different uh, angles. So you've got the sustainability angle. I've seen it uh, being proposed to help trade faster. I've also seen it being proposed to say, identify the next Tesla. So I'm sure there's more categories, but of those, where do you think AI is most likely to contribute? Well, the field is wide and open currently, as you already sketched it, and uh, many more applications possible. Uh, uh, our focus is currently primarily on portfolio design and construction, which is a quite uh, labor-intensive uh, approach. You need lots of human capital, uh, and the AI machine can do that much more efficiently. So that is one approach on portfolio construction and management, uh, a major one, one can argue. Uh, but as you said, there are many others possible. Uh, just let me get briefly into the issue of uh, new data that is being used, uh, because getting the right data and developing the right tools is in high demand and rightly so. Uh, the finance industry now is challenged to come to grips with decarbonization with climate change, for example. There's enormous amount of data from climate scientists, uh, from Google and from many other sources. So uh, how do you digest this into applicable tools for investment decision-making? That is one of the challenges. And that's where this approach offers solutions. For example, uh, Arabesque has a temperature score, which allows investors to check whether their portfolios are climate resilient or not, whether they're on a 1.5 degree Celsius pathway, 2 degree or 3 degree or more. And it's based on real emission data. And that's the power of data, cutting through complexity, offering simple tools, which then can be widely applied and used also by people who are not necessarily climate scientists or who cannot make the link between climate data and real world implications. And that is, I believe, where the beauty of AI, uh, big data and the sustainability agenda can and should converge because unless we give technology a purpose in its application, it is neutral, as you know. So uh, that's why I'm very happy and proud to be with Arabesque. Mm. I want to get into sustainability in a moment because um, I think there's so many issues uh, to uh, to really to explore there. But before we kind of leave uh, AI and investing, um, can you just tell me what the risks are for putting AI into investing? So, you know, for instance, um, would it have any impact on the sort of trading that caused GameStop to shoot up in value? Um, are we talking about AI only investing <laughs> or do people still have a role? Well, we are not yet there. As you know, it's a fairly uh, new but rapidly expanding field. So it's not yet market dominant at all. And there will always be space for active uh, decision making uh, uh, because predicting the future is something machines can't do yet. <laughs> uh, we are not yet at the stage where intelligence, which is externalized, uh, can be used to make the future. The machines largely uh, interpret what has happened and what is happening, but they cannot make radical uh, 
creative assumptions about the future. Uh, we see it in the space of technology and disruptions. Uh, they often come uh, unexpectedly and the diffusion pattern is not always predictable as we know. So there's still a lot of uh, human interaction and it will take many years to come, I believe, uh, before machines actually make the future. Once we are there, when AI is so dependable and robust uh, that it actually allocates and makes the decisions almost autonomously, then you can argue humankind has handed over the button to the machine age, but we are not yet there. We're now in this uh, bipolar sphere where human uh, minds and machine intelligence combined uh, shape the future. And that's why I don't see an immediate risk there. I don't see a, a risk that machines make massive wrong allocations or lead to a stampede or bubble. Not yet, no. The reason I mentioned GameStop was because of retail investors. So um, are we talking, are we yet at the stage where AI um, gives personalized portfolios or can be used by individuals to trade? We're getting there, but we are not yet there at the individual level. Uh, it's, I think, the main uh, angle first is institutional investment. Uh, it's uh, the bigger chunks. Uh, at the fintech level, uh, anybody can trade now at almost no costs. That is a new experience. That is something the markets have to go through. There's a lot of craziness outgoing. There will certainly be learnings out of it uh, and losses and lawsuits. <laughs> so... Uh, I think a, a correction will come there, uh, no doubt, but it's the gambling uh, attitude of many people, which is prevalent. And uh, you cannot deny people uh, to, to risk their own fortune. <laughs> they have a right to gamble. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't see the two immediately connected. It's a fintech consequence, yes, low cost or no cost trading in equities but you can't really compare that with uh, a thoughtful AI concept that seeks to improve the decision-making process and seeks long-term returns uh, and betting in the right direction. It's a different animal altogether. And so I'm going to ask you the impossible question, which is uh, what's the time horizon for <laughs> this paradigm shift? Are we talking Five years, 10 years, 50 years? Much, much faster, much faster. I would say at the end of this year, we will already see major AI applications, uh, massive scale. So just um, paint me a picture. What's going, what's going to look different by the end of the year? Well, to put it bluntly, I think uh, a lot of financial analysts will have to learn how to work with machines uh, around the world. Uh, they will probably, some of them may have to look for new job opportunities. True. It's a major uh, cost efficiency benefit associated with it. Uh, it's a typical disruptive uh, phenomena. Um, now, the speed at which it will kick in, I, I can't obviously predict, but I, it's more near term rather than medium term. One, two, three years. Well, absolutely fascinating. So now I want to get into um, this area of your work um, in which technology can play a role around sustainability. You've been involved in the SDGs and um, you've already, um, you know, uh, mentioned uh, your work with sustainability and ESG, uh, environmental, social and governance issues. So just outline uh, firstly, uh, what um, kinds of goals 
are we talking about when we say investment follows or supports ESG? Because um, I think there's quite a few um, definitions out there. So it'd be good to get your guidance yes. on that. Yes, uh, uh, it's a dynamic concept. And uh, I had the privilege in 2004 to convince former Secretary General Kofi Annan to invite a working group called Who Cares Wins uh, Institutional Investors to embrace uh, the idea that uh, investors, especially asset owners who sit on the top of the food chain, have a responsibility beyond narrow short-term financial returns. And out of this working group came the term ESG. A year later, we launched PRI at the New York Stock Exchange, which is now a thriving global organization uh, headquartered in London, wonderful organization. And the idea from the beginning has been that finance is lagging behind, accounting for important factors that ultimately will affect financial performance, meaning that uh, market signals are not truly uh, efficiently uh, anticipating these changes. And Nick Stern, as you know, uh, famously called uh, not accounting for emissions is the biggest market failure of markets ever uh, because markets traditionally have just not accounted for negative externalities. The 50 billion tons of uh, greenhouse gas emissions we are dumping every year into the atmosphere are hardly priced so it has been free. Now prices are slowly kicking in. So we are basically talking about market imperfections and ESG uh, as an idea to, to bridge these imperfections, to create awareness, sensitivities, uh, showing, look, if you don't pay attention, you're heading into a big risk. You may end up with stranded assets or in the wrong industry. Uh, and therefore, you know, think long-term. The time horizon obviously plays a big role. Tragedy of the horizon, as Mark Carney calls it. <laughs> uh, so uh, ESG was always meant to be a concept and an idea to sensitize financial markets on the importance of non-traditional issues, non-traditional financial issues in the environmental space, in the social space, and in the governance space. All three are evolving continuously because the market-society relation is evolving. So uh, changes are happening fast on occasions. And I think one of the characteristics of our times is that the pace of change itself is accelerating. And this is a fundamental, uh, has fundamental implications because most of us uh, grew up and were educated with an industrial era mindset, so to speak. You know, we are used to, to optimizing uh, within processes, beginning and end. But now things are changing ever faster. That means you have to be quicker in adapting to a changing context. And the context in my mind is shaped by three mega forces and they play into this ESG. And these three mega forces are irreversible. Number one is technology. I have no doubt it allows for the transparency, for the datafication. It allows new processes to be designed as we just talked about, but it also ultimately offers the solutions to deal with many of the problems identified because humanity has entered a Faustian bargain with technology. Our human progress depends on it. So often we develop something and then we realize the negative consequences and then we need to re-engineer and 
re-innovate. Look at the energy transformation going on right now, classic example. Uh, the second big mega trend in that space is indeed natural boundaries, planetary boundaries. And I, you know, as well as I do, we have overstepped our capacity to relate with the natural environment. I mentioned just a few figures, uh, uh, but clearly there's a new era has begun. Humankind has become a geophysical force so big that nature itself now is feeding back on us and changing our very fundamentals. So we have to come to a new relationship with the natural environment. And that is here to stay, even if we stop immediately emitting uh, the stuff we have already done to the soil, to water, to the air is so long lasting and big that we will for generations have to deal with it. So that's number two, technology, natural boundaries. And the third one is a more complex one because it's highly geographic uh, and historically bounded. It's people's preferences. But I have no doubt that younger generations everywhere demand more active change. They have greater sensitivities to these issues. And that also feeds into the ESG. That's a pretty uh, big explanation what ESG is. But finance, uh, coming from where it, it has, uh, from a pretty narrow uh, concept and approach, uh, has to learn that the framework conditions themselves are changing. So with it comes a new way of valuation. All of a sudden you realize your traditional pricing mechanism may not help you much in predicting the future. So you need to import additional information and you have to give it a value. And this is what the whole ESG thing is about. In fact, I want you to tell me more about this because you have written about how uh, technology and greater transparency can help avoid greenwashing. So just outline <laughs> what you mean there. Yeah, greenwashing is a, a big theme. Uh, when we started the UN Global Compact, for example, in the year 2000, uh, many companies also joined just because they wanted to look good and because the CEO felt it's morally the right thing to do. But my own organization, in the meantime, keeps on having forced labor or child labor in the supply chain or dump uh, toxic waste somewhere. Uh, yes, it always is an issue. It always will be. But I have a, a less, uh, I'm quite liberal in a way. Once companies uh, make public statements, once they uh, put out notions in which direction they're evolving, over time, they will have to go in that way. So uh, in a way, marketing comes before the real change or, uh, and the time lag obviously matters. But almost always, uh, those companies who go out and claim to do things when not really doing them over time will go in that direction. So in a way, it feeds into it. And there are huge geographical differences. Uh, Sweden, for example, where, uh, which I often praise as a, as a front runner, they kind of overperform and undercommunicate. Whereas in the US, uh, where I've been living now for 30 years, it tends to be the other way around. You first communicate and then you do. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm not too concerned about greenwashing because uh, transparency and uh, the many pressures and the forces are outlined. These are the real, real uh, changing forces. They kick in anyway. And once you make a statement, once you make a claim, you will be held accountable increasingly thanks to transparency and technology. Mm. 
So for um, you know, every person um, looking at where their pension is being invested, or you know, they want to see finance do you know more uh, around ESG. So just kind of outline how technology is going to shape this future of sustainable investing, as in what should individuals um, be doing or looking for and fund managers be, you know, using to make sure that, um, you know, they have all the information to make those decisions until, of course, the AI takes over, in which case the humans (laughs) will be playing a smaller role. (laughs) Well, that's a big question. Uh, First of all, as a pension, uh, the first thing I encourage people is ask your pension managers, whether they take into consideration climate issues and human rights, for example, you know, do they have a policy on that? Uh, Do they have one or not? Often, this is not yet the case. Secondly, if they have, ask for evidence, what does it mean in practice? How do you relocate uh, your your investments, uh, what consequence do you, what kind of approach do you use? Is it a best in class or is it a negative screening? Is it a weighing? Uh, show me what informs your decision-making in that. And with these hard questions, you often uh, trigger off already quite a, a change process because many pension funds are still sleeping behind the wheel. They are only now waking up to the importance of of these issues. There used to be a long debate on fiduciary duties here in the US under the Trump administration. As you may know, there was even even government uh, orders came out saying you cannot use ESG because it counters your fiduciary duty of financial returns, which of course is absurd. It's like pushing water up the hill. Yeah, uh, it doesn't make sense, but it was a politically motivated effort. Uh, things are changing now rapidly, and uh, people like Al Gore and others and uh, other organizations the principles for responsible investment have long made the claim, and so so have we, uh, that it is actually your fiduciary duty to account for these risks. Failure to do so, you may harm your clients for whom you have to be accountable. So not looking into climate change, not looking into human rights abuses can damage your portfolio, can lead to lower returns, Therefore, ignoring these issues is a breach of your fiduciary duty. So, simple questions. So, just to uh, link this back to um, what you mentioned before. So, for fund managers, for instance, being asked these questions, technology, um, describe how technology can be used so they can monitor their investments, um, that what they're investing in is consistent with their ESG uh, statements. Well, then... uh, The question to fund managers is, what kind of scoring do you use? What kind of uh, data do you use that uh, feeds into your scoring? Are you measuring actual emissions of companies or are you just relying on some estimates and averages? Uh, How reliable is your data? How frequently do you update your data? How granular is it? So uh, these are the hard questions then on the data side and which factors do you use and how much weight do you give them? And uh, 
so that are, is the next question then. And then with it comes the question, obviously, of personal preferences, yeah, uh, because the sustainability field is big and wide. And uh, we in Arabesque, we take an agnostic view in a sense that we respect that different people have different preferences. For some, it's all about water because they believe that uh, water is the most urgent priority issue. So look into water efficiency and uh, water stewardship. And uh, ESG uh, angle allows you to do that. It can give you rankings. It can give you hard figures. For most people or many people, the mega issue obviously is carbon emissions uh, as the immediate cause for global warming. And how, how, do, how, do, how does my investment contribute to it? Is it going carbon neutral potentially, which many claim to do now? But what does it mean concretely uh, within the next two years? What goals are associated with it? How do you measure carbon emissions? Is it based on averages or estimates or do you use real data? If you don't use real data, please, why not use real data? Then the fund manager will say, well, the real data is imperfect. There's not enough data out yet. Wrong, start with what you have, point out the gaps and make a story out of it. Uh, for example, we uh, give companies which don't disclose the basic emissions, we assume the worst. <laughs> we assume they have something to hide. Uh, but soon regulation will take in, presumably, especially at the EU level. And I predict here in the US too, with the Biden administration now, wow, it's, uh, we will see a lot of momentum in that space, especially on, on carbon. I want to say, uh, ask you one more question about carbon in a sec, but just on sort of ESG ratings, quite a lot of organizations are now putting out ESG ratings. Um, you know, what do you make of that? Is that useful for fund managers? You know, what, what, what would your take be? Well, ESG rating has made an important contribution to popularize uh, this trend if you so want, which I believe will become the new normal. But increasingly, it's also known that biased, backward-oriented information is not very helpful. It's not very predictive. It's not robust. There are studies out there. The MIT has done a famous one. It's called the aggregate confusion. Uh, in that study, they basically showed that uh, different ratings do not correlate with each other or at a very low level which doesn't make sense. Uh, so increasingly, the trend is, rightly so, going for raw data. You have to have the real original raw data and not some biased, backward-looking interpretation. And that's where the trend is going to. Increasingly, also many corporations, which are more serious on this issue, they used to play the rating agencies. They wanted to look good for marketing purposes. You know, am I on this rating scheme or not? Which kind of formulas do I have to fill in? Which kind of information do I have to provide? So it allowed them to cherry pick, basically. Yeah? And it was always backwards oriented, by the way, because you do it once a year. Uh, now, increasingly, companies realize, wow, if I'm serious on decarbonization, I have to have real figures like I have in the financial domain. Yeah? I need to know what the real emissions are in my supply chain. I need to know how this is changing over time. So there's a big move now going on, and that's very good, very positive, of investing into the data infrastructure to integrate these ESG information as essential information uh, alongside financial information. 
And uh, my hypothesis is anyway that this ESG trend in a way is a, a transient trend because it's a bridge until market signals more robustly reflect the actual costs and benefits of uh, good and bad behavior. So that trend is happening now, going more into the raw data. And uh, I would less rely on interpretations by third parties uh, and more on raw data. And so before we wrap up decarbonization, so you've you've written that the most cost-effective path to decarbonization is to invest in generation distribution of green energy and a smart grid infrastructures. So in a nutshell, what can green finance or investors do um, in this area? Well, the energy transformation is one of the big stories of our time, I believe. You know, it's the biggest. uh, And it took uh, two, three decades for renewable energy to be price competitive. and it's improving further and further. Uh, And there's a whole new infrastructure in the making in the energy sector. And energy really is the lifeblood of our modern life in every respect. Uh, And luckily now, finally, it dawns on politicians as well that the future is green electricity. And with that, we can solve many, many challenges at the same time. Uh, So phasing out the burning of fossil fuel, which accounts for almost 80% of greenhouse gas emissions, uh, bringing in renewables, building the storage capacity, and there's a lot of innovation going on in battery technology currently, um, and building this, combining it with smart technology to come up with smart grids. You see the merger already between the automotive sector and the energy sector. You see the great transformation that British Petroleum is embarking on under the great leadership of Bernard Looney. I have to give him a shout out because uh, uh, he recognized that trend uh, in its full complexity when he took over and he seriously goes for it. It's a major story, in my view, how the world former leading companies are now embracing this agenda. So yes, uh, we need we need simplicity also for politicians. Uh, they cannot handle uh, 350 ESG factors. <laughs> we need we need clear pathways for the future, and the most uh, cost-effective and societal beneficial way forward is indeed green electricity. But we're out of time. But I'm going to squeeze in one last question with you, George, which is, what is your one tip? for people investing in these uncertain times? Well, I would go with the big transformation. The big transformation will uh, take years to uh, be fully established. And we are just at the beginning of this major, major transformation. And the world always starts somewhere and then it spreads out rapidly. And it's a big world and there's a big opportunities in building the infrastructure for the future. Mm. Any tips for how to invest in this? Well, I gave it indirectly. Yeah? Uh, it's uh, it's uh, thematically focused uh, long-term, depending on your time horizon. So, uh, But I have no doubt where the future will go to. So the money has to go there too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say I'm an engineer by uh, background, and I was always... Uh, 
basically skeptical about finance because I considered it fleeting, short-term, herd-oriented, irrational, uh, ultimately. But uh, the more I, I deal now with finance, the more I see the power of being a force for good by relocating towards green, smart infrastructure, for example, uh, and related uh, breakthroughs, which are in the making. So the power of finance to accelerate this transformation is huge. And finance obviously has the big advantage. They do not have to change uh, physical assets. They just have to change mindsets uh, and their algorithm. <laughs> so change can, change can happen much faster. That's why I predicted so bullishly the fairly short-term changes around the corner. Mm. In the real economy, uh, <clears throat> where physical assets still matter, it's a big undertaking because building a smart grid infrastructure is not a small thing. Yeah? You need a concerted effort. You need different sectors to collaborate. You need uh, uh, many inputs to make it happen. Mm. Thank you, George. So I think um, it's been a fascinating discussion. Um, and I think anyone thinking about AI, ESG, and where to put their money will be looking for these big trends around <laughs> greening infrastructure <laughs> and data and much house. Thank you very much to George Kell for just a fantastically wide-ranging and interesting discussion. I'm Linda Yu.